Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Such a warm welcome. Indeed, I do feel like I'm amongst friends. Uh, almost feel like I'm back at work in some respects, but a, a different work. I, I often joke to people, uh, I spent 15 years doing prison chaplaincy, prison ministry here in Queensland. Uh, and so my wife would tell people that, you know, Jesse's in jail again this Sunday and, and so on and so forth, and she'd go to church with our kids. Uh, but of course, for me, the flip side is I'm used to speaking to a captive audience. Uh, so people couldn't literally go anywhere until I was done. So I don't know what the normal time frame is, but uh, just be prepared uh, is all I can say. Uh, no. Well, actually, actually, I am on a time frame. My daughter turned six today, and she has a, a number of presents, including a robotic unicorn that I have to assemble this afternoon. I've told her we've got five weeks of holidays, but there were some anxious moments when I was leaving this morning to come here. So I'm a man between two masters today. <laughs> um, let us pray as we come to God's word, and let us just uh, focus in on this at the moment. Uh, God, as we open our eyes and open our ears to what you're saying, God, as we've just heard, may we have receptive hearts, receptive minds. And Father, I just pray today that you will speak to your people um, through your word, by your spirit, God. May you speak and may your will be done here today in this place. And we just ask this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, to be anything but unoriginal, I'd like to uh, take a quick look at Matthew chapter 2. I don't know whether you have a a standard version that you uh, normally read, but I'm just going to read from the NIV. Uh, So Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the Magi. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 18. I'm sorry, I didn't put them in the, uh, the slides, so they're not going to be on the screen. So you have to follow along on your phone. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who will be born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, 
took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, as Mark has rightly pointed out, it's really hard to come to this passage today with fresh eyes. And of course, we all know the famous hymn that this passage is framed upon. We three kings, I'm not going to sing it, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. And of course, it has that beautiful, it starts in the minor key and then it goes to a major lift and it's just lovely. And of course, while we know the passage, and we know that it talks about three kings, right? Our passage today, if you actually look at the text from Matthew 2, it actually only talks about two kings. But really, there can only ever be one king. And today the question is this, who is the king? And will we worship him? Now my contention is that, that Jesus is the one true king. And that means that, that we are to worship him just as the wise men did all those eons ago. But of course, this has some implications beyond just giving presents at Christmas time. And I think it's a lot more about our ongoing decision to submit to his rule in every sphere of our lives every day. Of course, as Jesus is king, it means that, that earthly rulers, earthly kings, earthly governments are measured against his life and standard. And as we see today, their example is often found lacking. And for Christians to say that Jesus is king quite often means that, well, Caesar is not. And those who serve King Jesus find themselves praying for those in authority and calling them to uphold the standard of truth and justice that he embodied. And yes, that can lead to persecution. And next time I'm with you, I'll be talking more about persecution and the persecution of God's people. And yes, that may involve imprisonment and even death. But those who serve King Jesus have found forgiveness and life everlasting. That is their ultimate hope. That is our ultimate hope for as we gather here today. So today I'd like to take a look at what is happening in our text and see if we can't paint a little bit of a backdrop and then some foreground and have a look at what that means for us today. So there are, there are a number of passages um, from the Exodus that are picked up and this theme that is picked up between uh, Matthew chapter 2 and indeed Matthew's gospel. Of course, um, as we see here, the story has all these points of Exodus and exile traditions where Jesus' infancy recapitulates the end of exile and he is drawn out as the true representative of Israel. And what do I mean by that? Matthew was a Jew. He was writing to a Jewish audience. And he was wanting people to understand that their story as a people, their tradition as to how they came to be and who they are and what it meant, is now pointing towards and indeed fulfilled in Jesus. So he's saying, I want to speak your language. 
I want to show you where we've come from and show how this God has been powerfully at work in our lives. So what do we see in the Exodus? We see a wicked ruler who sets himself up against God and his people in this cosmic battle of the powers. And in the same way that Pharaoh had this huge building program, it's no coincidence that in history, Herod the Great, the Herod that we read about today, was probably a bit of a megalomaniac. He had a fairly significant building program going on too. And there were many parallels between the Pharaoh of Egypt and indeed Herod. Of course, the cheapness of life this terrible slaughter of the innocents that we read, in the same way that, that we see Pharaoh giving the command to slaughter the firstborn of Israel, we see Herod here more than happy for the sake of expedience, for his own political power, to have young people killed to ensure that his kingship is not threatened. And of course we see God powerfully at work, God's protection, God's providence, and preserving the life of his deliverer. In the same way that God preserved the life of Moses from Pharaoh and ultimately used him to bring about freedom for his people, so too we see today God bringing Jesus safely out of that situation. And yes, into Egypt, where he would have been, no doubt, amongst uh, people who would have been happy to receive Mary and Joseph. And of course, like Israel... Jesus is called out of Egypt. This, this beautiful text here from Hosea chapter 11. In the same sense that, that God's people were slaves in Egypt, God called Israel his son out of slavery and into relationship with himself, Jesus will now bring about the era of salvation where people are no longer slaves. Slaves to what? Slaves to sin and even death, but are born children by the Spirit of God. Jesus doesn't just bring about deliverance from dictators although ultimately he will. But he fulfills the restoration of Israel, the true Israel, by becoming that which Israel failed to be and ultimately fulfilling the law, ultimately bringing about an end to slavery, the slavery of sin. And of course, all of these illusions, typological and whatnot, that we see from the Exodus narrative and in the story of Moses, we see particularly pointing to and fulfilled in Jesus. So where was God? In all of this. Yes, God is still sovereign. He has permitted this terrible evil to unfold, yet his plan for salvation for his people is not thwarted. Death does not have the final word. What happened to God's, the hands of God's people during the time of Pharaoh, God was at work there and was ultimately victorious. And what happened to Israel throughout the ages still happens today. God's people everywhere continue to be persecuted continue to be targeted. Sin is a legacy of the fall. But Matthew recognizes God's divine intervention in all of this, that God is at work. Romans 8, 28, that God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Do we see the parallels between Israel under Pharaoh and the plight of God's people under the Herod Roman rule? Do we see one God at work throughout the whole Bible? Not just an Old Testament God who is angry and a New Testament God who is a merciful God, but one God who is sovereign throughout human history and at work in preserving salvation, a remnant for a particular saviour for us today. And we might see even governments today at work around the world who do not care for their people but are interested in their power only, 
Come and talk to me later on about what's happening in certain countries if you want to know more about that. So while all that's all happening there in the background, I want to focus in, and indeed on my reason for being here today, on Jesus as the one true king. Of course, the only thing we know about these magi, the only words that we read of them in the New Testament is this line in Matthew, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I grew up in that generation who watched The Lion King. There's probably a few of you who've seen it. And of course, when you think of a king born, the first thing you think of is what, a little monkey holding up Simba and Simba running around going, I just can't wait to be king. Yeah, there's some head nodding. It's hard to get that image out of your head when you read this passage. But of course, we're not talking about someone who's born to be a king, who's later going to grow up and become the king. The Magi say Jesus has been born the king. They are talking about what he is from the get-go, not about what he will become. He is the king from the moment he arrives. And of course, it's no wonder, therefore, that the Magi would come to pay tribute to the king. They have come to offer their rightful gifts. It's quite astonishing when you read Matthew's gospel. The ones who recognize that Jesus is the one true legitimate king of the Jews are not the priests, not the zealots, not the Sadducees, not Pilate, not Caesar, not any of the Roman, <laughs> not even Herod, an imposter king who is not even a Jew. He's an Edomite and he's been put there under Roman occupation. A man who has a penchant for bloodshed and a fierce temper. But the ones who rightly and firstly are recorded as acknowledging the kingship of Jesus are basically pagan astrologers. What do we do with that? And of course, the Bible doesn't say that there's three of them. I know that we all sing the song. When we read in verse 4 that all of Jerusalem is, is upset about it, quite obviously there would have been a fair old caravan of them turning up with their slaves and with all of the ones who've brought the tribute. No wonder why everyone knew about the fact that these guys were in town. And of course, it is no wonder that they would end up in Herod's palace. That is where you would rightly expect to find the king, isn't it? In the king's palace. And of course, Herod is so thrilled that these magi would turn up with gifts for the king. Except for the bit when he realizes they're not talking about him. You know, there are times in history you would love to be a fly on the wall, to, to be in a room and hear part of these conversations. Could, could, could you imagine it? Them arriving and saying, you know, we have traveled many months with gifts of gold for the king. Step right in, come this way. Fantastic. Where is he? What do you mean, where is he? You're talking to him. No, 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 no. We mean the one born king. We have seen his star. What do you mean the one who's just been born king? And what, what do you mean you've seen his star? I mean, can you imagine the internal monologue at that point? And so, of course, Herod summons the scribes, the priests, Get them all and get them here now. <clears throat> Gentlemen, could you imagine being summoned 
in front of Herod. Excuse me, gentlemen. Why didn't you tell me you're the ones who are supposed to know this stuff, right? You wouldn't want to be the high priest, you know, ironing five shirts on a Monday with a guy like Herod around. You're, you're the high priest. You speak to him. Uh, well, uh, yes, uh, about that. Uh, well, um, mm. uh, it says here that he will be born in Bethlehem. Shuffle, shuffle, swallow, swallow. Of course, Herod is so thrilled that his replacement has now been born in Bethlehem. No need to send in the soldiers just yet, for that would be too obvious and perhaps would give the local zealots a little too much reason or just cause for another uprising. So he says to the Magi, when you suss him out, let me know so that I can go and give him some gifts, you know, perhaps my crown. Of course, the Magi aren't fools. If they followed the star all this way and had that conversation, I don't think we need an angel to tell them not to go back to him. And as much as I, I might mirth or use a bit of comedy to talk about that scenario, that, that picture, what would it have been like to be there? If you're honest, if you're really honest with yourself, who do you identify with in that scene? Because some of us, if we're honest, we're actually going to identify with Herod. We don't want another king to rule our lives. We don't want another king to come in and mess up our kingdom. We sure as heck don't want some baby born in some backwater town called Bethlehem to come in and take over. The king of Israel has turned up at the wrong time in our lives when things were going well. Well, maybe not that well. But at the very least, we don't want anyone else taking over and telling us what to do. I mean, we've had enough of that from the government as it is. Some of us perhaps might identify with the scribes, the Pharisees. We've been studying scripture our whole lives. We're really good at being good. We have all the right answers. We know how to play the game. We know how to manipulate and maneuver, dodge and weave. We've worked too hard for too long at setting up this edifice to have this baby born come and mess it all up. Some of us might identify after priests. We have to tell the bad news to everyone that this has happened. And frankly, we're terribly sorry, folks. Look, no one really wants this, but ultimately there will have to be a sacrifice. So let's make sure it's not us and we'll sacrifice him instead. Which is exactly what they say at the end of the gospel. Isn't it ironic that the characters in this story who are the first and possibly the only ones looking for the sign of God's king and are the ones who rightly respond to the revelation of God are the people you would least expect, pagan astrologers. Do we identify with them? Do we recognize the legitimacy of this baby born in Bethlehem as king and worship him? In verse 10 and verse 11, they not only worship him, they were overjoyed to find him and they brought the most expensive gifts. They bow down and give gold, frankincense and myrrh, and I'm not going to talk about what all they mean. Are we willing to take off our crown 
and recognise that Jesus is the one who is king. And so that there can be no distinction between the two. The Magi bow down and worship the king. Herod says, let's kill the child. And to ensure I don't miss, we'll take out every boy two years and under in the area. You cannot get a more high contrast response if you wanted to. And so I did briefly want to talk about this. In verses 13 to 18, we read the story of, of the slaughter of the innocents. When Herod himself died, one commentator says this, that on his deathbed, his final order was this, may every firstborn in the entire kingdom be put to death so that every family will mourn on the occasion of my death. Now, thankfully, that wasn't carried out, but that gives you the mindset of him. It, it sounds very familiar to someone else. The weapon of the tyrant is death. It's marched out with dreary procession every time there is a perceived threat to power or authority. And whilst we sit here a couple of thousand years on, we've had the benefit of, of some time to reflect on the scriptures and, and we as a culture have embraced these Judeo-Christian values that, that ultimately born out of the doctrine of the image of God that says that all people have intrinsic value because they are image bearers of the divine. And every culture that denies that ultimately places little to no value on human life. It's no surprise that Herod sees no issue with having people killed. Indeed, any candidate who may potentially fill that bill is to be put to death, he says. And of course, the story of, of this slaughter of the innocents as horrific as it is, we're probably talking about maybe 15 to 20 in terms of actual people who, who would have been killed. But when you look at what has happened throughout history, and indeed in the 20th century alone, the number of Christians who've been killed for their faith because they say that there is a God and I will worship no other. There are over 340 million Christians around the world today who live in hostile countries. Nations where they face persecution of some type. And for us to gather here in relative ease and comfort as we do, to have access to the Bible as we do, this is not the normal experience of Christians globally, nor is it the normal experience of what we read in the Bible. If we say that we're going to identify with the Madai, and we say, yes, we will have no other king but Jesus, then that demands a response. At Christmas, we often give gifts in, in recognition of the one gift given to us. But often we give those gifts to people we love, children, grandchildren, friends, our neighbours. But what about those who cannot give us a gift in return? If we say that we worship the King, then that means we get to identify with Jesus, and he himself identifies with who? The poor, the meek, the persecuted the prisoners. If we say we love him, then we have to take their needs seriously. To think today that nearly a third of all Christians on this earth live in places that are hostile to the gospel, where having the Bible and meeting together as Christians can result in punishment, imprisonment, and even death, should not only trouble us, but should cause us to respond. 
So there's a couple of ways that we can respond, and I'll just briefly put these before you today. Uh, I know that Baptist World Aid have an appeal for what is happening in Afghanistan, and I want to commend that to you. Let me be upfront. I want to commend that to you. Uh, right now in Afghanistan, we know through our contacts there that there are people literally selling their children to buy food. I, I can't think of a more horrific experience to go through as a parent. And yes, I would say that we can do something about that. This year, Voice of the Martyrs, we're wanting to provide support, uh, not just to Afghanistan, um, but to other places, Philippines, Palestine, Cameroon, Egypt and Vietnam. We want to provide children of persecuted families a Bible, some basic school supplies, some hygiene items, clothing, etc. Uh, and people today can get on board with us around that. And the other thing that, um, and, a, and a response to that last year, and this was a pastor in Southeast Asia, our family would like to express our heartfelt gratitude and appreciation on behalf of our church for your gifts. Through your generosity and support, we were able to place a Bible in the hands of each of the children. They had never had a Bible and they wanted one so badly. Your gift and generosity was a perfect provision for every one of them. We thank you. But this is what I really want to also put before you today. Uh, there are sheets down the front here for people who are willing to pray. And, and it might sound like such a simple thing to do, to pray for the persecuted church, to pray for them, not that God would just spare them from persecution, because their prayer is, we don't want to just be protected, we want to see those who are persecuting us come to know Jesus. We want to be bold in our witness even in Afghanistan to the Taliban today. We want to be bold in sharing the faith of Jesus Christ in those contexts. So I'm inviting people today to pray, to sign up with us and partner with us in prayer and to pray for the persecuted church and where you're able to give gifts to support those children in response to your worship of the King, the one true King born the King of Israel. So I'm happy to commend that to you today. And I'd like to just take a moment now to bow in prayer before I invite Mark and the worship team back up here to lead us in our final hymn. God, as we have heard your word today and we have considered what it means to worship the King, we've considered what it means to have Jesus born, the King of Israel, the one who has come among us, a light that has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has tried its best to snuff it out, but it could not, and it will not, and it cannot. God, may your light continue to shine brightly in the hearts and minds of all your people today globally. And we do pray, God, not just for us here today or those online, but we pray, God, for your people everywhere those who this Christmas are hungry and thirsty and naked are in prison because of the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for them. We pray, Lord God, yes, they will know your peace and your protection, but God, we pray that they will know your power, that they will, having your spirit and being filled with your spirit, be able to continue to witness boldly in their contexts. And may the same be true for us here. May we not be comfortable. 
Maybe, Father, be inspired by their witness to be able to share the hope that we have in our communities. May we not take the privilege of gathering and having your word for granted. But God, may we continue to bow down and worship every day, making the most of every day until we see Jesus come again. In his name we do pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.